Okay, well, we finished the superstructure, but what we really need now is a tool that will fuse wood and metal at a molecular level. Technology like that is 20 years away. You would need a time machine. Luckily, I have been working on a design. I have not figured out all the quantum physics yet, but if you give me a couple of days... Or we could just use the one at the museum. There is a time machine at the museum? Yeah, we took it back to the Mesozoic era. You got to hang out with dinosaurs? Yeah, earlier this summer. Hmm. Well, thank you for inviting me. This could possibly be the best day ever. Today is gonna be a great day. Thanks a lot, guys. No prop. We appreciate the gig. Bowling for soup. Eh, before their time. Welcome, one and all, to the podcast without a cool acronym. The podcast where we review Disney television animation shows. But this month, it's all about Phineas and Fur, baby. I'm your host, Chandler Deroshay. Joining me on the podcast today via Zoom, we have Jonathan Eward. Hello, how's it going? And David Ganzel. I never left. <laughs> he was just sitting in the background of the last several episodes he wasn't in. I've, I've just been really quiet. You know, I've, I've just been waiting to interject, and uh, the time hasn't come up. Yeah. So today's going to be kind of an interesting one, because this is the first episode of Phineas in February here on the podcast without a cool acronym. How long ago was 2008 from now? 13 years. So this is the 13th anniversary of the show. Technically, if you don't count August as the show's anniversary. The big question is, do we count the High School Musical to premiere as the I start mean, of the series run? Or do you count the very first Phineas in February back in 2008 when they just like aired a bunch of episodes just to get them all out? If only we were about to delve into the complicated nature of time within this franchise. Yeah. I know, right? Disney TVA exactly scheduling at a critical analysis. Yeah. That's exactly what we're going to be doing here today. We're going to be talking all about time travel, just doing everything, which sounds daunting, but actually I was thrilled that Jonathan was able to make this episode because he's already done a whole video um, summing up the time travel timeline within the universe. So... In summary... It makes no sense, but we're going to try and make it make sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, we, we probably won't get to everything just with Milo, just because obviously there's so much with Milo going on. Um, but obviously we're going to start off talking about It's About Time. This was actually the first of the half-hour episodes that aired, I do believe. First half-hour was It's About Time. Second was One Good Scare Out to Do It. And then third was Duber getting the band back together. Because One Good Scare was released early on that DVD. But it officially aired on Disney Channel in October. But anyways, this is not what we're here to talk about, really. Um, the point is, this was obviously the first episode where they dealt with time travel. And time travel in this episode is really just a device to allow them to have a dinosaur adventure. Yeah, it's, basically. It's less, it's less about the time travel and more of just how do we get them involved with dinosaurs? Fossils. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> but 
You got to hang out with dinosaurs? Yeah, earlier this summer. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> uh, the, that, that episode starts off at the museum. They're looking at um, fossils that were discovered nearby. One of them was their dog, which is kind of a dark joke. What was it? Uh, I thought you told us the dog went down to the farm. Oh, yes. Our, yes. our, our dog went to go live on Kindly Old Man Simmons' farm. Yes, and here's the next exhibit, Kindly Old Man Simmons. Hey, who's up for milkshakes? <laughs> I love me some uh, some dark humor like that. But of course, um, Phineas and Ferb's attention is quickly drawn to the Gadgets Through the Ages exhibit, and specifically the Time Machine, um, created by Xavier Onassis, who I don't think actually created it, but again, we'll get back to that later. And whose name is some um, not so G-rated wordplay? What is the wait? <laughs> wait, you you didn't know this, Chandler? For for save your own asses. Oh, okay. I'm like I'm like, I'm not hearing anything. Okay. It depends on whether or not the X is silent, which is what makes it particularly. Uh, okay, that's funny. No, I hadn't I hadn't realized that. So see, that's one of those things where it's like you you you, you come back to it and you find new new jokes every time. It's also a name that implies a level of urgency. So like what was he trying to escape by inventing time travel and leaving everyone <laughs> else to save their own asses with? Um probably the year twenty twenty. <laughs> well no, because he's from late he's from presumably he's from late. olden days. Well, he's I, think, he's, I think I think he was well, and we'll get into this more later. But he had to know what a corn dog was. Yeah. So. Well, he at least knew what a corn dog was in theory, but he was waiting for them to be invented. <laughs> he was waiting for science to catch up to the concept of a corn dog. <laughs> True. Um, the the main thing that happens during the first half of the episode before they end up actually going back in time is they're kind of fixing it, and it screws with time all over the place and seemingly random areas of the museum, mostly resulting in Candace looking insane and or the security guard trying to um, try, trying to throw her out <laughs> for yelling in the museum. I think it's interesting that the little piece, the little purple piece on top that seems to control the time travel when Candace grabs it, and it rewinds time specifically on her to, but it also rewinds her mind and her actions. So like she basically forgets what was happening, goes back in time, not to the same spot, but just it's as if time actually reversed for her, which I think is interesting. So yeah, it's not it's, it, it used elsewhere. It's basically like, and mild spoilers for WandaVision, but it's basically like the rewind device at the end of the second WandaVision episode. Yeah. Where, where it kind of just resets, uh, it just resets everything a few seconds. It doesn't actually send the person holding it back in time. It actually rewinds time for that person. It's not which like, is peculiar. It's not like where you're standing outside of the flow of time. And I have to wonder if universe and the parts to build the time machine are similar to the parts to build an amnesia-nator, maybe. Possibly, I don't know. Um, but then obviously they go back in time. And the interesting thing about the way that the, the time travel plays out from in the past where Phineas, Ferb, and Candace are doing stuff with dinosaurs, um, how anything that happens in the present seems to happen concurrently 
Two separate timelines. It's basically once the time machine goes back, that hits play on the events in the present day taking effect. So once that fossil changes, it changes in real time, essentially. It's it's basically an immediate version of the ripple effect from Back to the Future. Like right. instead of instead of taking time to spread across the timeline, it's instantly, oh, and this thing in the present is now affected. But it's still sort of happening around some people. That that that's what's extra interesting, I think, is that you know, the people holding the purple device don't notice the time change. But then, like, when the Fireside Girls are looking, they actually can see the timeline change when they're uh, writing notes in the fossils. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's weird that not holding the device actually makes you sort of immune to having time travel affect you. <laughs> you. You just get to witness time travel as long as you're not touching the thing. Yeah. Or are out, and you have to be outside of the field of it, too. Um, of course, the other thing that happens in this episode, and it, it's not really pertinent to our discussion because it doesn't really affect anything with the time travel side of it, but the whole um, Perry and Doof plot, we have to take a second to talk about that if we're talking about It's About Time, because that is everything with Peter the Panda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, not, not so pertinent to this episode's topic, but definitely uh, a very important episode in terms of developing the relationship between doof and perry right and it gave us two iconic songs when we didn't get along and my nemesis both of which i feel like have become ingrained in public culture yes pop culture yes in general which uh i believe that was the first appearance of the of the 60s singing trio right yeah it was my nemesis yeah of, of the of the not quite off, of the off-brand love and spoonful yeah uh, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about that other than um, oh the the whole talk show it's like who is that for though like there's it's a whole for... there's a whole evil scientist network now yeah Love Muffin has their own TV network why wouldn't they that was before Love Muffin was dude formed Love Muffin didn't he yeah that was season two I think. See, Doof named Love Muffin, but he also has absolutely no control over what happens in it. So I feel like he just usurped it long enough to give it a name yeah, and then was immediately probably. demoted. Because he had to compete against Rodney and Lawrence to actually become leader of Love Muffin. And, right. And that didn't work. Right. Um, the other thing I love from It's About Time, uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it because it's fairly simple, but the other thing I love about It's About Time is the gag where the time machine has to be plugged in. Yeah. And that didn't seem to be the case with the first one, but the second one that the Fireside Girls built for some reason, they're like, oh yeah, let's have it be plugged in. Like, why would you, or maybe it was the plans that were left behind. I don't I mean, know. There, was, there was a lot of early Phineas and Ferb humor, like stuff like the time machine. The time machine. He left off the M. Like, I feel like the humor definitely got sharper as the yeah. show. Yeah, like is, that, that's, that's a mistake that wouldn't happen in a later episode. I also think the, um, the whole needs to be plugged in thing was just an excuse to use lightning as another subtle Back to the Future reference. Yeah, but, that's probably yeah. true. And I always approve of Back to the Future references. 
my question has always been with um with dinosaur okay so we were able to get the iguanodon back how the hell did we not end up bringing that t-rex with us because it only the car only grabs things behind it and not in front of it here's the thing universal owns the rights to the t-rex so we all yeah. we have the carnotaurus which is still cool but actually didn't the carnotaurus show up in one of the jurassic park sequels probably jurassic park 3 what didn't they do in jurassic park 3 well i think it showed up in, in fallen kingdom too it did in Fallen Kingdom. The T-Rex eats it as it's escaping the volcano. Right. That's right. Anyways, Phineas and Fur. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the dinosaur adventure ends. Um, but that's just the beginning of a time travel because then we get, of course, Quantum Boogaloo, where mm-hmm. the, 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 whole pre- the whole pretense of them going to the future, like the whole reason why they need to go to the future is a really flimsy one because it's just like, oh, we need a tool that uses wood and steel on a molecular level. Oh, well, technology like that is 20 years away. You need a time machine. It's like, okay, well, let's time travel to the future again. But I guess they needed some other way to, or I, I guess there, there wasn't really another way to set that off other than Phineas and Ferb starting it just to, to see what's up. And then it goes from there. I think I think it's you know it's a unique plot contrivance to get them to the future because really the the wood steel fusing tool is so unimportant in the larger yeah time. and it's it's really a stretch to think that Phineas and Ferb couldn't have invented that technology themselves but it's it's just kind of the linchpin to the episode and you just have to accept it. We don't even really know what it is they're building. We just know that they need to fuse wood and steel. Looks like a jungle gym. Something. Maybe they're yeah. maybe, maybe they're building the prototype for Twisted Colossus. I was gonna say oh. yeah, maybe they're building Rocky Mountain construction hybrids, but those don't even need to be welded. Those are just like like bolted in place. The track doesn't have any welds. Yes, they're, but they're trying they're to improve said, on the design. They <laughs> said that's it, Ferb. I know what we're gonna do today. We're gonna upset the roller coaster fans by making a wood steel fused roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> the coaster you know, boys it's wonder how it that's basically what um, Lightning Rod at Dollywood is going to be once they finish changing it. And that's what the new Titan track that Great Coasters International is, has rolled out. And they put on White Lightning at Fun Spot, where it, it can go back and forth between wood track and steel track. Um, and with Lightning Rod, it's because um, the, the two tracks have the same specs, the, the iBox track and their topper track. And the iBox track is just going to pull up the stress much better and with a ride as fast as lightning rod you kind of need that and really the whole point of the topper track was just for marketing purposes anyway so it's like well everyone likes the hybrid track so we're just going to do that well this episode does become an episode about roller coasters anyway so it does because of course it um not to jump too far ahead but it revisits the pilot episode and not roller coaster the musical like the the gag and roller coaster the musical shows which just doesn't make any sense. You we have to take Roller Coaster the Musical out of the equation. Yeah, That's Roller right. Coaster the Musical is not a part of the equation. Um, so they go to the future and they see, oh, the museum added the new wing, and there's mobile homes and flying cars and jetpacks. The mobile homes are literally mobile homes, like they're on like an astro orbiter type thing that looks like a mobile. Cause that makes sense. It's it's for it's the visual it's, joke. It's a visual gag. It's for the pun. 
never question the ways of the pun. The ways of the pun. Um, and they go and hang out with it, uh, Xavier and Fred um, at Candace's house, and they notice that Candace looks so relaxed because she hasn't been obsessing over busting her brothers for years at this point. Um, and she has a, she presumably has a successful career as a lawyer or something, which we never see. But based on actor age, there's that. But the other the other hint that they drop is that um, Stacy becomes president of Uruguay. Good luck with that llama legislation. <laughs> Again, just another kind of throwaway, just like just random non sequitur. I like that they're still friends as adults. I think that's... Oh, yeah. Uh, th- th- that uh, feels like a uh, friendship that would carry over into adulthood. I like, that, I like that they haven't grown apart, and I wonder how the llama incident affected Uruguay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and, the, of course, the other thing is that Xavier and Fred aren't doing anything, and Phineas and Fred were like, hey, you guys should do stuff. And Amanda is like... Xavier and Fred never do anything. They just sit around and do nothing. So it's it's the role reversal, of course. So so it's the exact Disney direct-to-video sequel thing of the kids are just like their parents, except inversed. Yeah. Yep. Opposite. It's it's Little Mermaid two up in here. And somehow Bowling for Soup is um, just available to do a gig in the future that they didn't know was going to happen until. Again, it's just a, a, an excuse to use the, the second verse of the theme song. I mean, have you seen them doing much lately? <laughs> yeah, that's true. They ha- what have they been doing lately? I'm sitting under this digital tree. I'm sitting next to them. <laughs> I, lo- I also love the gag where Candace climbs up the digital tree and then she's like, wait, isn't this just a digital tree? And then she falls. <laughs> um... But as soon as older Candace sees Phineas and Ferb before, she immediately goes back to her busting mode and grabs. Because no matter because no matter how many times these characters go through these arcs, they are always susceptible to relapses. Yeah, that's that's a theme we'll come back to quite a bit early. And and again, that's the thing I love about this series is because about this whole universe is it paints a realistic portrait about how hard it is to maintain good habits. Yeah. Uh, oh, the other the other gag that I didn't mention was that they so they go with Isabella, but not Belgique because Belgique stormed off, annoyed that they didn't ask him to go with them to time travel, so he's not going to time travel this time either. Uh, they um they ask Isabella to stay with the machine, and Isabella's like, "He trusts me," and she she lays her head down on the lever and accidentally sends the time machine back through time. And when we next see her, she's like, "Yeah, I didn't get out of the time machine. It's the time machine that moved. I brought back a woolly mammoth tusk, a Viking helmet, and smallpox, and the vaccine." What year did this episode air? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. So. And they're going 20 years in the future, so we are eight years away from where they are going in this episode. So uh, hopefully by then we'll have a lot more knowledge than we do now, but apparently all we'll be doing is sitting under digital trees. Yeah. 
which to be fair is kind of what we've been doing this year is only doing digital things and not doing in-person things. Well, that projection mapping technology has come a long way, that's for sure. Um, so, but they go back and of course they make a reference to um, Biff's whole thing of never being able to get the make like a tree and leave thing right. Let's make like a banana and weave our molecules through the space-time continuum. <laughs> that was good. Obviously, a lot of great Back to the Future references in this one, because this one basically is like, yeah, we're doing the whole thing. Um, Definitely a lot of Back to the Future Part 2 in this episode. Yeah, especially, because it mostly borrows from Back to the Future Part 2. As older Candace makes it to the museum, and... Of course, the time machine's not there, but then Xavier Onassis shows up and is like, have corn dogs been invented yet? She's like, yes. Hot dog, I'm staying. And so she takes that time machine back to the day of the roller coaster. And of course, that sets off the whole chain of events that when she comes back to her present, which is, of course, the future, it's all dystopian because Doof used that and... It's the Doof's Pleasure Palace timeline. It's the Doof's Pleasure Palace timeline where everyone's name is Joe and everyone wears lab coats. There's never any kind of confrontation really between Doof and Candace. I guess just because that hadn't really been built up anywhere and wouldn't really have anywhere to build up. But it's kind of like, well, she just has to find the machine and go back and fix what she did. So not, not too terribly difficult to fix. And then that version of her disappears once uh, once that timeline is fixed. This is the first time they explicitly show how the two subplots of each episode always need each other. Yeah. But like, obviously we see it happen in every episode, but this episode actually shows the consequences for if one half of the episode doesn't go right, then the other half falls apart. Right, right, exactly. The, the t- they, they need each other. They're two sides of the same coin. Yes. Children are put in pods and locked away until adulthood. <laughs> yeah, that, that part's kind of really messed up <laughs> when you think about it. Very much so. Children themselves were childproofed. What I love about that is that that wasn't even one of the things Doof was doing. That was just overprotective parenting. Moms against yeah. children. Like, what what I love is that, like, the worst parts of this dystopia weren't even of Doof's design. He was just the opportunist who stepped into the power vacuum. He just filled the power vacuum, yeah. And, and uh, he obviously accelerated the dystopia and made it a lot worse, but uh, the dystopia was already well on its way, and it just laid the groundwork for him to come in. Now, who does that remind us of? <laughs> yeah anyway yeah well, anyways um and i i like how with with the end of um quantum boogaloo they made it where they actually did have the the past and well or they did actually have the present and future versions of the characters interact for a good amount of time i thought that was a really fun thing to do that we don't normally see in time travel stories because if you or if we do it's the person is acting under an alias because they don't want to get caught 
Yes, although we very deliberately never see the future versions of Phineas and Ferb. Yes. But they didn't want to design them. Yeah. We'd have to find someone for that. And could you imagine what we'd have to go through to do that? Crazy. Yeah. And then the whole episode ends with basically it never happened, or did it? Because Isabella stops the whole episode from happening, but that would also, that, it's a paradox. But if paradoxes don't exist, it just means we're on a feedback loop forever. Exactly. Well, it's just we're, we're now on a branched off timeline, and yeah. uh, that's how there are more than 104 episodes, because any episode could take place in any one of these timeline branches. I like that. I think that works. I feel like we've talked about that before. But. Yeah, it, it, it's a theory that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Um, now, my question is, what did Xavier Onassis do right on the time machine this time that he hadn't gotten right in the It's About Time timeline? That is a good question. What makes him come at that specific moment in the future, 20 years from then? Because... Uh, it's about time indicates that he never quite figured out the time machine or if he did nobody ever found out that he figured out the time machine so maybe he had figured it out the whole time just nobody knew because he already skipped ahead to the future and stuck around for the corn dogs and maybe there were two time machines that were um similar and he fixed one of them and the other one was just left behind that's possible but i'm just curious like what the missing piece that he figured out was yeah uh, and the answer is probably just eventually he figured out whatever Phineas and Ferb did in it it. It's About Time. But what so I'm saying that, is we need a what I'm saying is we need a Xavier Onassis spinoff now. <laughs> I'd watch that. Long ago, in a faraway land, there was a prosperous studio run by a middle-aged CEO. In an era of princesses and flashy musical numbers, the studio decided to go in a different direction, and thus their most unique creation was born. And they called it, The Emperor's New Groove. But The Emperor's New Groove is more than just one movie. There's an entire expanded Grooviverse out there, and I intend to explore it all on The Emperor's New Podcast. Hi, I'm Micah Hirsch, and I'll be your host on this whimsical journey as I'm joined by special guests to discuss every corner of this underrated franchise, from movies to television to theme parks. You can hear all about it on The Emperor's New Podcast, available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Be sure to stop by and give it a listen, and remember, beware the groove! Um, so then, of course, we get to... Milo Murphy's Law, and obviously everything with Dakota and Cavendish is not revealed all at once, but they start to appear, and they actually did it where, and I think we mentioned this before, maybe, um, where um, Cavendish and Dakota didn't show up at first in episodes, but then on reruns, they yeah, showed up in the background. Mm -hmm. I think, oh, uh, or, sorry, go ahead. Which I think was pretty brilliant. Yeah, I, th yes. I think one thing from Quantum Boogaloo that we forgot is that it introduced for the first time the time stream. Yeah. And it's about time. There was It was just kind of instantaneous, but 
uh, Quantum Boogaloo showed us that it's actually traveling through the stream. the stream to get to the next place, which is something that Milo Murphy's Law expands on greatly. And they, and they use that as a device in itself, which I don't know if, other than like Bill and Ted, anyone's really done something quite like that before, using the time stream as its own location in a way. I feel like it's been done, but I can't remember specific examples. Yeah. Probably Doctor Who. From maybe? It seems like you'd die if you stepped out of the TARDIS, but I don't know. It is cool that the, 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 the time stream is like a place outside of time and space. Yeah. And that they kind of like Milo uses it to have action scenes and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Um... So, of course, with Milo kind of just talking in general about the season, as Dakota and Cavendish become more known and we learn more about what they're doing, um, they eventually think that, well, because at first they think that their mission to protect pistachios is just completely pointless and useless, and that it's just, you know, the, the job that they were stuck with and they have to prove themselves so that they can get a real assignment. But then, as Milo destroys their stuff more and more often, it becomes the theory of Cavendish that Milo is their counteragent, their nemesis, if you will, because he just happens to always be near them when things go wrong, because of course he is. That is Milo. Yep. If you're around him, you better have good insurance. I love in the, the party episode where Martin's like, Zach, are you covered for insurance? They're <laughs> <laughs> planning Milo's birthday party. Yeah, and obviously this is the first time we're really talking about Milo here on the podcast. Um, so uh, obviously I love the way that it, it, event, it eventually comes out that Murphy's Law is like a force of nature and that it's just, and actually going off of even season two, everyone has a little bit of the, well, well and, and this, this is, yeah, what's basically revealed in season two with the Phineas and Ferb effect is everyone has positive and negative probability ions, but Milo has a higher concentration of negative probability ions than almost anyone and Phineas and Ferb have positive probability ions so basically we have um probability midichlorians in a way yes probichlorians probichlorians um so that means the farmer is the chosen one yes yes (laughs) there's the episode title the farmer is the chosen one no there's another (laughs) Um, and of course, uh, we have to talk about uh, Mr. Block. Yeah, the shady time panel. Yes. Mark Played Hamill. by Mark Hamill and referred to exactly once as such a joker. <laughs> Mr. Block is such a joker. <laughs> it's funny because, of course, I was, wear- I was actually wearing this shirt to the eye doctor earlier and the 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 doctor brought up um, Phineas and Ferb, and I me- I mentioned Milo. He's like, yeah, and I watched, I, I I had seen some of that, and it was the same guys playing the the two uh, older kind of hipster dudes 
the, the time travel <laughs> dudes. I'm like, yeah, I actually met one of them. <laughs> Fun times. Yes. Back when we were able to go places and do things. Uh, was there ever such a time? Yeah. Well, we'll get back there someday. Speaking of time. Speaking of time. Um, I think there's a specific episode we should... Obviously... Um, well, things come to a head in uh, the, uh, the first hour long. Yeah, Missing Milo. Um, but before where... that, they have the introduction episode, Time Out, which is where we learn kind of about the Bureau of Time Travel and mm-hmm. basically what exactly are Cavendish and Dakota doing? I really like that episode right. title just because it's like there's nothing else in the episode that would dictate the name Time Out except for at this point in the show, you've watched seven or eight episodes been trying to figure out what's up with Cavendish and Dakota, and this episode is a metaphorical Time Out. Let's explain what's happening. Yeah. I, I've talked about this, I think, on this show before, but imagine if they had un imagine if they had unfolded the Perry and Doof subplot the same way where it was just subtly going on in the background at first. Yeah. And made it a story. The the substitute slash timeout was actually covered on Escape from Vault Disney, Mm -hmm. uh, which was also the one, of course, with the substitute teacher in space, which was great. And you're right. that That is really the one where it set everything in motion. Because that's the one with the pistachio plant that gets mixed with the whatever the chemical is. I can't remember. Diaminohexene. Diaminohexene. Uh, and that sets in that, that that of course sets in motion the whole thing with missing Milo with how the pistachio plants take over the future. Because at the beginning of Missing Milo, um, they get sent back to protect that pistachio plant again because DOG was going to go pee on it, I believe. And either either that or... Yeah, I think, I think that because they set that up for later, but then also mm-hmm. uh, Milo almost steps on it when Milo and Dakota and Cavendish actually talk and that sort of reframes everything because they realize oh he's not our nemesis okay well that's cool um but then of course milo ends up going with them back to the future in and they 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 still break in savannah's limo because um their time machine was destroyed basically and we, we should probably also talk about brick and savannah for a second because i love them they're really fun Super hip spy agents, Ming and Brett Dalton. Basically, they're mm-hmm. everything that Dakota and Cavendish aren't. I like the, the stereotype of what you expect, like a a time or a secret agent, just in general, to be based off of pop culture in general around spy missions and important government secrets as it relates to something as important as time travel, and so having them be foil for Cavendish and Dakota as their direct inverse works really well. Yeah, I really like that. And I like the, I like the, what, what was, 
I think it was um, one of the episodes where they go with Brick and Savannah and then they end up messing stuff up and then Brick and Savannah are like, no, you're not going to get the limo because we just had to fix this from last time. That was um, time out. That was time out. Because um, the, the thing with time travel is it can be used as a control Z, but it can also be used to you know, create a, a, a feedback loop. Basically, they do whatever they want with time travel when they want to do whatever they want. It is interesting because it seems most consistently the way time travel works in this multiverse is for larger jumps in time, uh, things are like, it actually affects the future. Things you do in the past change the future. But for smaller jumps in time, it seems to be more of a stable time loop where like, because bits like the, like, where did you get that peach? Someone threw it at you earlier. Like <laughs> that, that, that whole gag is contingent on a more Bill and Ted one sort of stable time loop where it's like, there's one time stream and everything that happens, happens. Oh, uh, peach gag. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a great gag, but it's an incompatible time travel theory with the, uh, with, with things actually changing, which is why it just seems to be the shorter your jump in time is, the more stable the time loop is. This is true. But I think yeah. in the end, it ends up being a giant time loop with, you know, they, they stopped in substitute. They stopped DOG from peeing on the plant. And in the end, DOG pees on the plant and kills it. Um, sure, sure, he just pees on the plant at a different time than he would have eventually so i get i guess it's a self-correcting universe it's a self-converge it's a self-correcting multi-stream is yeah. what time travel the does time, in the this time universe. stream is strong enough to correct anything except for the peach loop apparently um <laughs> uh, but the, pe the peach loop is the missing factor yes as we mentioned um uh, earlier they do some action sequences within the time stream specifically uh when they jump from when they jump from the future back to the past, a bunch of the pistachions, um, or, or did they go after them in a different time machine? I forget. There, there's, um, the one, there's the one point where the pistachions come after them in the actual time stream. Yeah, did, time. didn't they like grab onto the roof? Yeah, yeah, I think so. yeah, they, yeah. So they grabbed onto the roof, and um. That's Derek. Derek grabbed onto the roof and right. on, and then he got kicked out of the time stream. Dakota clocked him with a bunch of clocks uh, and that's how the clocks wound up in the time stream which they noticed earlier. I think some, some somebody's idea of a joke, they threw these clocks in the time stream. Um, the, also, the clocks also have um, what was the time element again? Uh, time juice. Yeah, time juice. Yeah. So they have the clocks have time juice in them, which is what they also need for time travel. Also, I just realized that my theory is completely incorrect because uh, in Isle of Lost Dakotas, there's a lot of very short jumps in time that don't result in stable time loops because Dakota has to replace himself each time. So, right. uh, so I guess it's just randomly the time loops might be stable, but. Uh, inconsistently so that was it's, it's, really... it's unstably stable that and was... then there's of course was... the christmas peril episode where all of the cavendish and dakota clones disappear as it yeah. 
kind of contradicts with the Isle of Dakotas, but we just we just say time travel is basically anything goes. Well, yeah. at, like with all continuity in this universe, it's always follow continuity only when it's funnier than ignoring continuity. Right. Exactly. If ignoring yeah. continuity makes for the bigger laugh and doesn't confuse people who are just watching that one episode, it's okay. I love the Island of Lost Dakotas episode. That was a fantastic episode. And I love how they actually um, brought the Lost Dakotas back in the Phineas and Ferb effect. I thought that was a great payoff. Oh, yeah, to use them as the army. That was excellent. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that, that was a really just elaborate episode all of that i mean obviously it was a big crossover it was very good at being both the crossover it needed to be but also being like the satisfying next step in all the story arcs that were going on in the series right the crossover is a very interesting piece of media (laughs) it's uh, i've talked about it so much i I don't even know what I think. It doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a thing anymore because I've seen it just so many times. <laughs> it's burrowed into your, it's burned into your brain. Basically. It's just a collection of dialogue with some images. It's it's also, it's just a stable piece of life. It, it's just exactly. a constant in the universe. It exists. It exists, and the sad thing is, a lot of people still don't know it exists. Exactly. And then people are like, what, Phineas and Ferb came back before the movie? What? It's like, yeah, they did. That, that's why I, I know, like, I understand their reasons for cutting the Milo cameo from the movie, but I really think leaving it in would have been a good way to get more attention on Milo. Yeah. Especially on Disney+, Plus, because that would have made sure that Milo was recommended right underneath it for you. Right. Mean. Sort of like how you finish watching episode three of WandaVision. It's like, oh, here, here's Age of Ultron. You know, because we just mentioned the events of that movie in this episode. Spoiler alert. Exactly. I think I think that's smart that Disney Plus does that. But unfortunately, Phineas and Ferb is not as big for them as a Marvel show. And definitely not Milo. Even though the... Even though Candace Against the Universe was one of the most successful things on the entire platform... This is true. But obviously that just goes for um, Disney Plus exclusives and not for like Marvel movies that people are just rewatching. But even then, it had some like, like there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of high profile Disney Plus exclusives last year. Because, you know, aside from Candace Against the Universe, you know, you've got you got the Mandalorian. You got Hamilton. Like there right. were a lot of a lot of things drawing eyes on the platform. So for it to be mentioned like in the same category as some of those things, yeah. that is no small feat. Right. Absolutely. Which is why I really I really hope that Disney Plus changes the game for this is kind of off topic, but I really hope that Disney Plus changes the game for the kind of stuff they consider viable for a theme park attraction because there's a lot of stuff that has a small has a small screen run that still is insanely popular it's like you could absolutely do something with this like i was saying this uh, earlier this week on twitter when we were having the the inevitable discussion we have like every couple of months or so about dino land i'm like just have dino land become the mystery shack fair and build the mystery shack even if you don't do a ride to it it would still be 
it, it would still make way more sense as its own land. I mean, Gravity Falls merch in and of itself would sell like hotcakes. Exactly, and it would make it would make way more sense as a tagging tourist trap while still being in a beautiful environment, and it could it could hit all the boxes with um, Beastly Kingdom that they wanted to hit with Beastly Kingdom. I just don't think capacity wise, the Mystery Shack is a good option. Well, but. I would I would think the Mystery Shack, if it was a walkthrough, would probably actually be the cue for a bigger attraction. Yeah, yeah it, it, it would be like uh, Maurice's house at the beginning of Enchanted Tales with Belle. Right, and then you'd go into like the lab and there, were, there would be something there where it's like, we're tracking more anomalies in Gravity Falls, and da 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 You're going to go I mean, upstairs and outside to the golf cart and we'll, we'll go from there. Something get like J.K. Simmons into a theme park ride. Yes! <laughs> that would be very funny if Disney World got J.K. Simmons in a ride when... Uh, Universal Orlando Spider-Man attraction is the J. Jonah Jameson ride. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I've already made all my pitches for Gravity Falls attractions, so... I can already imagine, like, you have two sides to this. There's some sort of anomaly going on. This is totally okay. There's some sort of anomaly going on in Gravity Falls, and you get the Dipper Mabel, the Dipper and Mabel safety instructions versus Ford's safety instructions. <laughs> <laughs> Gravity Falls also had its own version of time travel. Yes. Performed by the man who was simultaneously Rick and Morty. Yes, of course. Time Traveler's Pig. That is an iconic episode right there. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about that episode here on the podcast in the future. I think my plan is to go through every Gravity Falls episode, so it might be a little while before we get to that one, just because obviously I'm going to cover other stuff here, too. Um... So, of course, everything comes to a head in um, Fungus Among Us, and then obviously the Phineas and Ferb effect, where we find out that the Pistachions have been, well, they infiltrated the past and they've been um, slowly taking over using um, really, really accurate rubber face masks. But less accurate human speech. Yeah. How has your day been progressing? <laughs> oh, shoot. We should have done that at the beginning. Oh, well. We also never explore why uh, so many of the Phineas characters evaded Pistachion capture when uh, seemingly everybody else in Danville was captured by them. My biggest question is, Candace is like, oh, thanks. I just got my hair done. Like, when? Where? What did you <laughs> Where were you? It's the apocalypse. What do you mean? Well, of course, it wasn't always going to be the case that every one of them had evaded capture. Well, not every one of them did, because Buford and Valjeet are captured. But Well, no, but I'm talking about the the whole deleted plot with Ferb. Oh, mm. the Ferb Pistachion spy. Yes. Yeah, that was actually animated that we'll sadly never get to see because Dan loses these things in the archives. It's so sad. So tragic. Sometimes he randomly finds them again, though. That is true. TikTok has very, has very much helped with that. Yes. Uh, and of course, Doofenshmirtz is Professor Time, which kind of recontextualizes everything because... Phineas and Ferb crack time travel, but it's like, so the question is, and here's the, the, the problem with time travel is 
once you invent it, suddenly anyone down down or up the timeline could have taken credit for inventing it because it exists. Exactly, and that's so what like, does. Why is it? Why is it that Doof gets the credit for it? What did he do differently? I guess he discovered time juice, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the big thing is. So far, everyone else we've seen invent time travel never told anyone else about it. Yeah. Because they're, they're not in it for the fame or the glory. Yeah, Phineas and Ferb aren't in it for the clout. They just they just wanted their wood steel fusing tool or to see dinosaurs. Um, they were more in it for the challenge. And I think what makes it special for Doof is that it it completes kind of his character arc of finally finding a purpose for his life as a good guy. Right which works really well. And then, of course, like every great inventor, he sells his uh, invention to the government for regulation and the Bureau is created. <laughs> and Xavier I mean, just you, wanted corn dogs. That's what you do if you have an invention or if you have a uh, food product that's really popular, you sell that and then you complain that the company that bought out your stuff is not doing it right. I was just watching uh, all of the 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 food theory and film theory videos about KFC earlier today. So <laughs> yeah, that was, that was an interesting, it was interesting to learn. Um, apparently Harlan Sanders like knocked someone out in a courtroom once. So that's fun. sounds like Harlan Sanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and well, and they made a video game where um, supposedly based on that. <laughs> But that's still not weirder than the Mario Lopez recipe for seduction thing. KFC has a rich history. Yes. Slushy dog. Slushy dog. Slushy dog. Imagine Slushy dog's marketing campaign if it's anything like KFC. <laughs> Colonel Jeremy. Apparently they have fish sandwiches too. It's like, why would you buy fish sandwiches from a place called Mr. Slushy Dog? Because it's Lent. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have something. That's that's the funny thing. It's like, yeah, all the fast food restaurants, it's like, we know you're just getting this because it's Lent. That's why we don't have it any other time of year. So basically, there's a uh, rich tapestry of time travel in this multiverse that is uh, barely consistent, but that's why we love it. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And it's so much fun to just break down everything and attempt to say how does this connect to this especially with the lack of consistency between milo and phineas and it's it's very fun to attempt to make sense of it's almost like it's these shows are written by people or something and it's not all, all actually happening well it's that fun kind of nerd semi-continuity where it's like they give you just enough crumbs of things fitting together where you really enjoy the challenge of trying to make it all fit together, even though that'll never be 100% possible because everything operates on rule of funny. But right. then, you, then you just feel so satisfied with yourself when you actually make something feel coherent in your head. Like one of the things is in Doof's time machine in the Phineas and Ferb effect, you see him fill a little light bulb with time juice that looks just like the one from It's About Time. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, so that that part of the time machine that runs it runs on time juice that's the same thing that Phineas and Ferb did in actor or not in actor and it's about time and it's making those little connections 
And that's the fun of it. Yep. All right. Anyone have anything they want to plug? I am on YouTube at The Second Dimension. You can find me. I'm working on a Hamster and Gretel video right now that just, uh, it's, it's completion evades me. So hopefully that'll be coming soon. And you can follow me on Twitter at PFMML News. And all of my links are at doggins.com, D-O-G-G-A-N-S. Uh, just everything I do, you can find it linked to there. Every single thing. You can find me on Twitter at Starport97 and at the YouTube channel Starport97. I'm actually planning on finally bringing back my flagship series, Theme Park Backlot, which has been on hiatus since April for obvious reasons. The next episode is going to be all about Walt Disney World Resort infrastructure, the resorts, and Disney Springs. Specifically, the changes that have happened since um, Dave made his videos about those things. So expect that within the next several months. I'm not entirely sure when it's going to be out. I just started working on it, so... It's still a ways off, but I do want to actually start making new content for my YouTube channel again, and I really do. But in the meantime, you can also find this podcast on Twitter at Podcast Acronym. If you like this and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Leave us a review and give us five stars. That really helps us out in the algorithm. You can find us on Anchor and all the other usual places. Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. I'm also planning on uploading the episodes to YouTube again soon, so those will be at Starport97 on YouTube. But like I've said before, I really want to try to encourage people to listen on the actual podcasting platforms first. And join us next time when I talk with the members of Channel KRT about Channel Ferb TV. Well, I guess technically it's not a channel, it's more like a series of channels. Um, also, what a croc, just because they're paired together, and... Why not? There's actually quite a lot of fun things in that episode that come back. So join us next week. Oh, oh, oh.